Good morning. We are really delighted that you can be with us today. You know, last week I started a series called Make It Count. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to catch up on it. What I say today will make more sense in the light of last week. But we're in a season where I believe there are certain things that we'll do or we do well to consider and reflect on that will enable us to make it count. I, but I guess for all of us, we would love to step out of this pandemic. Of course we would. But surely whilst we're in it, we want to make it count. And regardless of the pandemic and whether or not that is going on, we want to see the maximum impact of our faith and our lives. And therefore, within that context, I think there's a few things that we would do well to consider and reflect on. There used to be a talk that I would just dread doing. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it among others. I've seen it done in, in quite a painful way because it's one of the more prickly issues that I think we can speak into and we can have a conversation around. But I, I need to just say this. If this is the first time that you've ever joined us or you've only actually been joining us for the last few weeks, Please don't hear what I speak on today as a standalone. Hear it in the wider context of who we are, what we're about, and all that we believe that we're called to be as a church. You know, most followers of Jesus would not want growth in their faith, growth in their knowledge, or growth in their love of God and the love of those around them to stop at a certain level. Would, would you say that? Would you say that you want to grow, you want to develop, you want to take steps forward? I, I really hope that is the case. I long for that to be the case as we become disciples of Jesus. That's what I believe we're, we're called to. You know, we're called to be people that are changed, people that have our character formed, that we become more Christ-like and that we're a people on a journey. And yet, there are, for so many, some areas of life that are kind of off limits. Many, for example, this would be one area, many decide to have a fixed percentage of their money that they give and they stay there for life. Hence, I would say I never particularly enjoy or have enjoyed a talk like this. You know, I'm just being honest, I'd often put it off. It would give me sleepless nights and cold sweats because I'd know that I'd be stepping into a place that people wouldn't want me to speak on. I, I could guarantee that my inbox would be filled after it, if, after a discussion on it, in, in, in less than a positive way. Yet, true discipleship includes growth and maturing in all areas of our lives, including our resources. And therefore giving should also expand as well as we come to know and understand more of Jesus. In fact, I would say personally, I've almost done a 180 on it. I wouldn't say that I love it, but actually I'd say that I do love seeing people grow and be discipled and mature. And a conversation around that and a conversation around this is therefore very much part of it. Yet true discipleship includes growing in and maturing in the use of all of our resources. So giving should also be something in our lives that is expanded. Um, and, and I would say that is a massive part of how we develop and how we grow. I, I would say that I've deeply loved seeing people grow and develop and therefore deeply love to talk about this where it's helpful. Hence, I just want to frame today, I want to call today 
um, base it around a phrase called letting it go. Let go. We've got to let go and allow God to take the reins in our lives. I remember when I was in the fire service and we had two periods where we went on strike. Now I've got to say that with withdrawing your labour in process is is one of, in process protest not process. Withdrawing your labour in protest is one of the most extreme things that you can do, especially in a profession and a line of work that is deemed to impact life and death. And so without it, that's an incredibly difficult thing. So but what, I wanna, what I really want to make clear, though, is I need you to know I actually didn't have any choice in it. That was just how it was on that time. It weighed heavily on me. I remember in the first strike I lost the place that I was living. I very quickly had to make some um, financial decisions and I ended up living on the fire station for an extended period of time. It was certainly a hard time. Equally it taught me a principle that has never really shifted in my life. No matter what life throws at you, you need to prioritise your priorities. You need to prioritise your priorities. I know that sounds obvious and it sounds very simple but it's true. My conviction and my understanding of the life and the teaching of Jesus is that financially I give to the work of the local church. Tithing isn't generosity. Tithing is it's already his. I think that's important to say. Let's just reflect on that. Tithing isn't generosity. It's already his. So in that moment, at that age, in that stage and phase of my life, it was one of the first financial shakes that I would say I had. It was a real pressure point. The mindset of of my colleagues and those around me was like, batten down the hatches, prepare for the incoming storm. And that's really where things kick in, where you have to actually know what you're about. That actually I was like, well, no, I prioritise my priorities because tithing isn't generosity, it's already his. So the thing that didn't shift in that season of my life was my giving. Everything else could change, but that was the one thing that I knew couldn't come off the table. What I still do, or should I say what I still to this day can't quite find the language to explain, is how I didn't actually just survive. I was actually financially better off in that time than I had been before or was for quite a period after it. A similar thing happened when Steph was unable to work for a few years just after we got married. I was on a bursary, so not really earning a salary at all, and Steph wasn't earning. And our first thought was, gosh, what are we going to do? You know, like, now what? And how do we survive? What do we need to not do? What do we need to sell? And again, the thing that we were aware of is that our conviction is we don't stop giving just because things have got tight. Other things may need to go first. We prioritise our priorities. Tithing isn't generosity. It's already his. And we're just giving it back to him. Again, I don't quite have the words actually to explain exactly what happened other than just using the phrasing to say, honestly, we saw the provision and the hand of God in that moment. Actually, at that time, quite interestingly, we were actually investigated for fraud. Now, please hear me. I really want to state this clearly. 
We were investigated for fraud, not because we'd committed fraud or because we'd actually done anything wrong, but because the local government at the time could not explain or understand where our money was coming from. And if I'm honest, nor could we. You tried telling them that it was just in Steph's handbag at the end of church. There was just some rolled up cash. And they, they say to you, well, well, did you take it? And we're like, yeah, of course we took it. Well, taking it, they said, is theft. And we're like, well, no, we didn't take it, take it. It was just there. We just took what was there. Well, who gave it to you? Well, I, we, don't, we don't know. Well, do you have a receipt? Well, no. <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> it's like, it's almost comical. What do, you, what do you mean the money just came through your letterbox? Well, I got up in the morning and there was an envelope that had been pushed through the letterbox, and this happened a number of times on a number of occasions, and it had money in it. Well, where did it come from? Money doesn't just come through your letterbox. Where did it come from? Well, I don't, I don't know. Well, what did you do or give to get it? Well, nothing. Well, you must have. Money doesn't just come through your letterbox. Well, it did. So I actually watched the lady who was kind of interviewing us. She wrote on the form, the man says it was an act of God, question mark. And I said to her, well, would, would you mind not putting the question mark? Because I don't really think it's a question. I think it's an answer. I think it was an act of God. And again, we got into a, another great debate about it. But we prioritise our priorities. Tithing isn't generosity. It's already his. On those gifts that we were given in that time, as we have with others subsequently around, you know, inheritance, whatever it might be, we gave back because it wasn't ours in the first place. We give on gifts because we're just giving back what is already his. Sometimes we can get in a mess with this. You know, we can make it personal. I, I've seen that and I've seen it a number of times. I don't give because. You know, I don't give because they make it personal about the church leader or the vision of the church or some other issue we might find or whatever it might be. Honestly, can I encourage you, please be in a church where you can give. Please be in a church where you back and you believe in what is happening and you would consider and reflect on that because it's really important because we prioritise our priorities. Tithing isn't generosity, it's already his. This isn't about buildings. This conversation I'm on about now isn't about buildings, budgets and bums on seats. This isn't about filling the coffers. You know, I've heard that language used. This is about extending the kingdom of God and releasing something of the kingdom on you, in you, on us, in us. And it is part of letting go. Now, I know for some of you, you might feel you you don't have stories like I've just shared and all of that sounds a bit far-fetched. And, you know, honestly, there is a principle that I want us to catch today, and it's this, it's of letting go. You know, you could say, you could reflect, Paul, you've picked the worst time to do this talk. You know, it's a few weeks before Christmas, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in a financial climate that the Chancellor has said is the most unprecedented thing in the last 300 years. You know, it's when some of you are starting to really feel the pinch financially. You're starting to see job insecurity. Some of you have lost jobs. There's currently 
global uncertainty, not just financially, but on so many levels. Some of you will even be feeling slightly irritated right now that I'm even going to go there. But I, I, I have to say, I don't believe this is bad timing because I think I've started to learn that maybe actually there's never been a better time. And actually, I don't say that lightly and I don't say that flippantly. When Steph was unable to work um, those many years ago, it was it was just at the, the point and the start where the financial crisis was starting to kick in around 2007, 2008. And it was at that exact point that we felt the unpromptings and the knowledge and became to the understanding that it was time for us to sell up and to pack up and to move on to something different. Sometimes by letting go of control, we start to see and we start to realize what he might want to do. One of the things that we often use to pin us up and to hold our ceiling up is money. So when we let go, we move into a new realm and we move into a new level and potential of faith and trust expansion. You know, when the pandemic started to unfold, one of the first conversations Steph and I had was around how much we give as a church. We currently give 15% of everything that comes in away to things that don't directly benefit ourselves. I think we actually give in reality way more than that. Also, everything we do and all that we're seeking to be is that, is a love offering to this city. But besides that point, the point was at that moment when we could have been gripped by fear, we we wanted to, to come to a different place and start to come to an understanding of saying, Father, what are you doing? How do you want to challenge us as a church and how do you want to challenge us personally to step into greater generosity and freedom? We aren't seeking to be a church that grows faster or bigger as such. That's, that's not the drive. The drive is that we become people who more and more begin to look like him and act like him. And the rest will follow and fall in line behind that. You know, according to some research that I read this week uh, in Western churches, currently it's said that 5%, 5% of followers of Jesus give regularly to a to the church to the benefit and the extension of the kingdom and of that on average they give 2.5 percent of their income i found it fascinating to then read that that rate went up to 3.3 percent during the great depression you know isn't it amazing how when a point of crisis comes actually sometimes that can increase our faith and our trust because we realize we can't depend on ourselves or some of the things or the idols that we created that we thought that we could now i'm not going to give you today a percentage for some of you even an idea or a discussion around a percentage will highly highly frustrate you you know i think biblically i would say we can find a narrative around 10 percent. steph and i have always found that as a helpful guide not a legalistic guide but a helpful one i've always personally considered how can we even view something as 10 percent to be a reasonable measure when when we see and we read in the new testament the realities of the extravagant grace and goodness and kindness of jesus that we see and therefore we prioritize our priorities tithing is not generosity tithing is almost a given it's already his that we're just releasing back to him to do as he sees fit you know i i want us to consider and to be and to stir us to something 
beyond just a measure of of a tithe actually we want to be we want to be generous and we want to be generous beyond measure i long for us to be that kind of church if we hold on to something and we don't release it then he can't do in us and through us what he might want to do and therefore release something wider into the city it's not even just a financial thing sometimes it's a perception and a mindset that becomes a spiritual thing we release something as we release what is given we're supposed to give back you know i have to say though and i've got to be honest this is not an easy lesson to learn many of you now will feel almost uncomfortable with some of what i'm saying but generosity is a key to the kingdom in being generous we break the grip of self-centeredness that constricts the hearts of so many we break free from the fear of feeling like we don't have enough and we enter a place of greater joy jesus so sacrificially gave of himself with joy hebrews 12 verse 2 says this who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross he, he entered a place of sacrifice and sacrificial giving in and with joy generosity is rooted in grace it's an outpouring of gratitude and an expression of worship to the god who gave his son for us and when we start to see giving and let it go in the light of that and in the light of this i believe that it changes everything for us giving money and material possessions to the poor and to god's work is a powerful form of sacrifice you know giving that is motivated by love and his purposes releases a great power and a blessing on us and on the church and on wider on the city i believe honestly we probably haven't got time to go into that but as we give there is a spiritual opening there's a spiritual release that happens if you want to um just even personally look at that and press into that you can find it in philippians 4 18 and acts 10 2 great examples of how as we give we release something we don't give to get i think that's a huge mistake and a huge trap that often people can fall into when we give to get something back we haven't actually entered into the heart of god his giving was selfless it was always others centered getting is 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 but one step in the process of having even more to give sometimes we get but it's only to give it we're only just temporary um custodians of it should i say almost caretakers of something it's not ours it's, it belongs to someone else it belongs to god at the point that we're called to be stewards over it that's what's happening we're called to be stewards of, of what God has entrusted to us and if we view our resources as his resources entrusted to us of which we're temporary caretakers really just to release back I believe that it makes the whole process the whole mindset the whole understanding of it so much easier I see it and it's, it's not this is how I see it it's not mine to begin with I think that really helps so I don't have much trouble actually giving it away because it was never mine anyway it's always his my, a tithe isn't generosity i'm just giving back what is already his generosity is as much a matter of biblical perception as it is a willingness to let go sometimes it's how we view this how we have come to understand what jesus is asking of us the american new testament scholar craig bloomberg said it like this i've always found it so helpful he said 
generous giving, especially to the materially neediest people of our world, proves so pervasive in scripture and is so often either commanded or commended that it is hard to envision anybody seriously studying the Bible in detail and not concluding that stewardship must play a central part in any truly Christian lifestyle. So true. You know, some of you will see this conversation as a burden. Honestly, I, I don't believe it needs to be that way. It shouldn't be. It should be and it could be liberating. 1 Timothy 6.18 says this, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus stirring up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. <coughs> we take hold of that which is truly life. You know, I read and I reread and I read again this scripture in 2 Corinthians 8. And I, I often let it just sit on my heart because I think it's important. It says this at the start of that chapter, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a great wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You know, it's so powerful. Just reflect on that verse for a minute because it's not about the amount that you have. Although they were poor themselves and they were poor, that was a desperate time and moment in that church context. And yet their hearts overflowed with a longing and a desire to help and to give and to generously steward. The, the amount we give is not as important as how and the heart that we give it with. God does not want us to give grudgingly. Instead, he wants us to give as those churches did out of a dedication to Jesus, out of a love for each other, out of a joy, an overflow of joy to help those in need, as well as the fact that it was simply the good and the right thing to do. You know, the Macedonian churches offer another picture of the privilege of giving. It's a privilege and it is a joy. These churches, according to Paul, were poor, you know, and actually really poor. We could go into that, but it's a whole other conversation. But Paul goes as, to, as far as to say they were in extreme poverty. He highlights it 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. Yet these churches begged him for the privilege to give. You know, when I said I used to find it hard to talk about this, to talk about money, to say it in the context of discipleship and have a discussion with you. You know, I've come to realise that I need to talk about it and I probably need to talk about it more regularly for us to be all that we could be. I can't and I don't want to stunt your growth. This is a huge, significant part of our character formation and our discipleship journey. When we consider the the, the, the racial and the social 
composition of the churches in these passages, this point is even more remarkable. Not only were the Macedonians Gentiles giving to strangers, they were also giving to Jews, a peculiar people in the eyes of society. No wonder that their generosity has almost taken Paul aback slightly. He's like, whoa, what is, what is happening? What is going on here? Their generosity broke the economic and the racial barriers even in their poverty. Whatever barrier we might see or sense now of the day and the time that we're in, we're called to generosity. We're called to almost beg for the opportunity to be part of what God has for us. The Macedonians gave out of an understanding of grace. We see it 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Grace, when, when understood, grace gives. It gives away freely, it forgets self, it turns outward, it looks outward, and it works for others. God's grace affected them on the deepest of levels. The Philippians knew that God who was rich became poor for their sakes so that they might become rich. We find that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. Have you, have you ever read or reflected on that verse? Let me read it if you haven't. It says, For you knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You know, there's no evidence that Jesus was any poorer than many of the first century Palestines. Rather, Jesus became poor by giving up his rights as God and becoming human. In his incarnation, God voluntarily became man, the, the Jesus, the, the person, Jesus of Nazareth. As a man, Jesus was subject, therefore, to place, to time and other human limitations. Jesus became poor when he became human and he set aside to do that so much. Yet by doing so, he made us rich because we receive salvation and eternal life, along with many, many other things. They experienced the gracious sacrifice of Jesus. So when they gave, they gave not to control or to boast or to, to lord over or to maintain ownership. They didn't give us traders, they gave us servants of God. They did not even give to Paul, ultimately speaking. They gave to God. It just so happened that Paul was standing in the stream of their generous overflow. You know, Paul celebrated their generosity can I just take a moment to celebrate your generosity? The church we are, the church we've become here in Manchester is, is because of you. Now, of course, ultimately, it's because of Jesus. But as Paul did so often, I just want to celebrate your generosity because it's a reflection of your hearts. I don't say anything today to condemn us or to to criticize us but to more fan the flame of what the lord and the father is stirring among us the fact that we had a pot of money to be able to help people during this pandemic both in the church in this city in the city and globally the acts 2 fund is because of you the fact that we were able to share some of the stories that we shared already today about 422 with you is because of you there are days, if I'm honest, in the human, when I reflect on it on a human level, that 422 frightens me. But as ever, we choose faith over fear. We look to what he is doing and can do and might do 
among us. The seed money that you gave in extreme generosity and sacrifice has and still is releasing more and stirring something in the city. To God be the glory for that. We celebrate the generous people that you are. You know, on the giving page on our website, it says this, and I can't find, I couldn't find or come up with better wording for it. We said we serve a radically generous God who calls us to be a generous people. At Manchester Vineyard, this means that we give financially to provide the church with the resources to do the things that we are called to do well. It also enables us to show God's generosity to those outside of the church. We give as an act of worship, not out of obligation or guilt, but as an overflow of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this, and I kind of close by sharing this with you this morning, because to those of you that feel trapped or burdened or condemned or frustrated by what I'm saying, to those of you that are living in a place of anxiety around your finances, it says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to pray, I want to ask, I want to long, I want to champion you, that you would be freed from constraint, that you would be freed from a spirit of reluctance or compulsion. You know, this isn't, this isn't a tax, this is a a generous sowing into the kingdom that as we do we start to let go and as we do we start to see our hearts released so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. I hope and I pray that that is helpful to you this morning. Why don't we just spend some time as we just reflect. I just want to invite the, 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 the presence of God to come upon you. You might want to close your eyes and just spend a moment reflecting Jesus, we welcome you. Come and speak to us, come and move among us. Come and land on our hearts, in our minds, all that you would want to land on us this morning, individually. Lord, stir us afresh. Lord, I thank you for this generous people, this generous church. Thank you for the overflow of their hearts, for the city. Thank you for the, all that you've bestowed upon us and entrusted us with. And for us as individuals, Lord, we just want to release back to you what's already yours. We want to pray for a greater measure of extension and release. Lord, I pray for those where they, you, they, they feel condemned almost this morning, where they feel judged or they feel um, without, that that wouldn't be what lands. I pray that there'll be a greater measure of grace and freedom over them this morning. I just feel some of you, there's a, there's an anxiety that sits on you, not even just financially, I think that is true as well, but around around the approach of Christmas, there's a burden, there's a there's there's a like a political, social, economic weight and burden that is sitting on you at the moment. I just want to play a release of that and a freedom from that. That your eyes and attention would be turned to the the meaning and the reason for the season. I believe some of you, there's a, there's a challenge this morning if, if you'll accept it and step into it. I believe the Father would want to just whisper to you, have you ever asked him about some of this stuff? It's a, 
core foundational part of our discipleship. Just turn your heart to him now, Lord. What do you want to say, Father? There's a moment of review and reflection. I believe there's there's uh, somebody with a with a like um, I think it's your left eye particularly, but it's just been blurry. It's troubling you. You you're worried about what that means or what that is. I just feel the Lord would. Um, well, I want to speak the healing power of Jesus over you this morning. In the name of Jesus, I command that eye blurriness be gone. I pray for a creative miracle that you would be healed of that. Trust the Lord is going to meet you powerfully now as we rest in his presence. Don't rush this time, this moment. All your cares, all your burdens. I believe there's a, there's a weight of relational complexity on some of you. It's like you, you feel just at the end of your rope. You're a bit spent. Pray that the Lord would, would breathe new, fresh waves of encouragement over you. A renewed deposit in you. Spirit. Just leave you now with some music playing, but don't don't rush what the Lord's doing and stirring in your hearts. Step out, reach out to somebody, ask them to pray with you. Let's be, let's be the community and the family that we're called to be together this morning.